This is episode number 276. Why do we feel the need to create new things? With BJ Miller. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming conversation, which takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where we explore the connection between one's inner narrative and the topics of appreciation, grief, resilience, and many others. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding our upcoming conversation. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show. And that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. BJ, welcome to the show. Thank you, Oleg. It's nice to be here, bud. No, thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for having the uh, podcast prior to the podcast with me when we first got <laughs> on. And, you know, I remember the conversation you and I had initially. And the one thing that really stood out to, to me from that conversation, I think somewhat relates to the topic that we're going to dis- discuss today. And that is why do we feel the need to create new things? After we were done, I, w- I watched your TED talk and I mentioned to you earlier today, how I watched it a couple of days ago, or watched it again. And that was that was an overarching topic or theme that I've been thinking about. And part of the reason why is because I'm wondering if this is a cultural perspective, or I'm wondering if this is a universal one, mm-hmm. where the things that we have right now are simply not enough. Mm-hmm. And the only way to continue moving forward is to create new things new experiences, mm-hmm. new events. And I'm curious to hear from you, maybe as a way to kick off this conversation, why do you think that is? Why do you think we have this need to create mm. new things? Well, I think it's complicated. And I think there are some, I think there are multiple forces at work, some of which um, I think are probably uh, some sort of flight from fear, some sort of self-soothing, some something related to fear. And I think some of the impulses that get us here are also uh, about chasing beauty too. I don't think it's just about fear. Um, and then maybe lastly, I'm just, you know, top of mind, I'm just dividing into three different buckets, but they're probably way more, et cetera. But mm-hmm. um I think we also just as human beings seem to have something in us, an innate seeking motivation. You know, we're always sort of looking forward. We are a future-oriented creature in a lot of ways. Our minds pull us into this future. We create into that future. So I don't think it's simply a neurosis um, 
or a decadence. Um, but I do think there's probably something elemental for us humans. I think that impulse to, to strive, to seek, to create can be exercised in many, many different ways. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. need to lead us to where it's led us, led us now. So, but I think those, I think there's some really important things in there and I wouldn't want to necessarily shut down the creative impulse in humans. Um, but I do worry at all. Well, I wouldn't want to shut it down at all, but I do. <laughs> you're meeting my cat, the muffin man. We have we'll a guest here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if he talks into the microphone anyway. So um, I think part one of the ways it gets problematic is that we get so um, seduced by what could be this sort of mm-hmm. future thing that we blow past what we have. We, mm-hmm. we don't notice all that's right under our noses. And, and that gets very sad or problematic or something like that towards the end of life. When, when you're running out of moments, when you're running out of time and you realize you had all this stuff already with you, in you, around you, that you didn't really bother to, to think about or to love or deal with because of this sort of future state. I'm going to make something new, get something new, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's, we could talk about this for days, but I think that's an overarching setup um, from where I sit. What do you think helped you realize that perspective from your own experience as far as being more maybe appreciative of the present? I don't know if that's mm. the right word, but recognizing the moment more for what it is instead mm. of constantly building for that next thing or that next adventure that you're trying to embark mm-hmm. on. Well, I think for me, I think the big answer is, well, I got really, really hurt. You know, I mean, physically got smacked you know, and you and I spoke about that. I mean, I have, I'm an amputee who came close to death from, you know, electrical burns when I was in college, you know, screwing around on a, on a train, a commuter train. And that, you know, that stuck me in a burn unit for many months in the hospital and, you know, sort of years of climbing, climbing out of that hole. So um, in other words, a a major loss is kind uh, 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 what forced me to realize, oh my goodness, there's, I have a lot to lose. It's not just mm-hmm. this, I don't, you know, this idea that I don't have enough. I got to try harder, work harder, get, get around that bend to this next thing, this next place. Um, I hadn't nearly appreciated all that I already had until I lost some of it. So that, that was very useful. I mean, I think loss big or small it doesn't have to be amputations but you know if you're paying attention to your life we're losing things all the time and if we're mm-hmm. really paying attention we might begin to notice all that all that we actually do have already um so some so so for me it was a little bit by force i had something had to smack me in the head slow me down take some stuff from me show me how little control i really had um for me to appreciate all that i had I'd like to believe I would have gotten there otherwise, but at at age 19, that was certainly helpful. Mm. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that for a couple of reasons. First is I think this concept of a loss. I know that for me, just once again, in my opinion, I I don't think even the term loss is accepted the way maybe it could be. And Mm -hmm. that's whenever there's a loss, at least for me, what I've noticed doing sometimes is I would constantly try and reframe into a game. Mm -hmm. Well, this is lost, but what did I gain from it? 
Mm-hmm. But the reality of the matter is I think both of them have their own beauty. It's mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. to be able to quote unquote lose a friendship or phase out of a friendship or transition into the next phase of that friendship. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's what I've realized. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to embrace more about this current chapter of my life is that I think everything in my opinion has its own purpose and has mm-hmm. its own reasoning. And mm-hmm. I don't have to shy away from one or the other, but I'm curious to hear from you because another topic that you mentioned, it's somewhat at the top of my mind. I'm, I'm reading this book right now called the untethered soul by Michael mm-hmm. Singer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about is this concept of control. Mm-hmm. And it really made me think as far as what can I control at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. I used to think that I could control many aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize that I can't even control the most important thing to my life. And that's the ability to breathe. Mm-hmm. I can't control when the next one's going to come. Mm-hmm. I can't control how it's going to process through my body and mm-hmm. create the necessary particles in order for me to keep going, keep speaking, keep seeing. And mm-hmm. I, I, it really got me curious as far as what can I control at the end of the day. And I'm curious to hear from you when you think of that concept mm-hmm. and everything that you've been through throughout your own life, what do you think you can control? Mm-hmm. It's a great, great question. I mean, <clears throat> control may entirely be an illusion. Um, I don't know. That's hard to say. That kind of gets at, it starts to get at belief systems beyond what we can sort of observe. But even in the observed world, like you're saying, we, if it's not a frank illusion, boy, it's certainly a, a distorted reality. We, we, we spend a lot of time either trying to control things or just assuming we can if we wanted to, et cetera, or pushing each other to them. And so it's so much of the signals I got in school uh, and growing up um, was to control myself, whether that was around things like just simple things like manners or controlling my destiny or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, big or small. It was just that it was just presumed. Um, and that may be a spoiled Western phenomenon, but whatever it is, it's all over the place, at least in, in the States. And I, I imagine anywhere there are humans. Um, so I don't, I've become very suspicious of it. Like it sounds like you have to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. And like a lot of, well, like we're talking about, you know, the need to create something new, some new experience, a new thing. Again, we should talk about, we can talk about the, the positive sides of those, of those impulses too. There's some real beauty in it, but um, I mean, the creative impulse is gorgeous to make something that wasn't there, there, you know? Um, but anyway, like, like in the same way, control, you know, uh, there's something to be said for it. And even if we can only control a little bit, it, it may be worth our effort. For one, it allows us to uh, express ourselves in some way. Mm-hmm. Whatever, like you're saying, as, as, as the impulse moves through your body and your particular sack of particles manipulates things one way or another, subconsciously, one way or another, a series of reflexes and chemical reactions that are particular to you, even though they're variations on a theme of humans or life in general, but your particular sack of cells will somehow find a way to evince this impulse to inhale and exhale. And you, you know, that, that is, that is stunning. You know, it's really kind of beautiful. Um, but I'm moving off to the side. I mean, I did the, but back to control for a second, 
you know, first of all, you can play with that through meditation work and breath work. It is an impulse that you can affect, even though it's one that's difficult to control. It's one that you can still affect. And I think that gets us into the ballpark here where I think we shouldn't think of control in absolute terms. We should think of it as sort of a, a, a relationship, a dance between impulses, reflexes, forces outside of ourselves, et cetera, that we move in this mysterious sort we move through life in this mysterious dance with, you might say, some dance between control and something out of control. I think it's irresponsible and problematic um, to presume we have no control ultimately mm -hmm. as social creatures. Um, I, I certainly can control myself of not stepping on your toes or punching you in the face or taking your stuff or, you know, all sorts of things where we do actually have some control. And therefore that gives us things like justice that for, you know, there's a shot at fairness because as human beings, we can control to some degree our lives and organize our lives to the benefit of ourselves and others. And we have some sort of moral overlay to do so. So justice, morality, all these require some sense of choice to be re relevant at all. Mm -hmm. And I do think they're relevant as, as in, at least in society. Again, it, it just runs away with ourselves. We then, we focus our, we just, we distort our, our field of view to focus on those things we can control and ignore all the rest, which means we're ignoring 99% of life or something like mm -hmm. that, you know? So, um, and then one last sort of thing, at least to, to, to might get at and more of an answer to your question, though, like, I think we like to think of, of my life as my own, you know, um, but speaking of control, I didn't, I came into this world with no control. I didn't choose my birthday. I didn't choose my parents. I mean, here again, this is belief systems. I've met many people, thoughtful people who do believe that you had some choice there. I don't necessarily believe that or certainly don't at least know that, but let's just say for the point of our conversation in this life, I have no way to retrospectively control who I am in some real ways, how I came to this world, my circumstances, et cetera. And why would I take any credit for those things or blame for those things? Um, so we, we also play with our self-image in these things by, we also distort our self-image, puff ourselves up, give ourselves more sense of control than we actually have. And we also very often go the other way and demean ourselves and belittle ourselves and pretend we have no control. I think both extremes are dangerous. But what I'm creeping up on here is this idea to your question about what do I think control is besides a neurosis, besides something real. I think it is, uh, it gets at um, I, I'm not well that well read. I heard that this was a Franciscan, a St. Francis point, but I'm sure many others in history have made it that life is this thing that flows through us. It's not my life. It's like there's some force that blows through my body in ways I can't pretend to understand that I find fascinating. What is the source of this life? Where does it go? Where was it before me? Where does it go after me? But we know that's, and, and we know we, we can observe as such that that is more or less the case. If you've said a dead, if you've seen a dead body, you know, where the life force has gone out, you're, it's very obvious. A dead body is a st stunningly obvious thing. And it's also a very mundane thing to be around in a way. Um, in that it's just so obviously a shell. It's just so obviously uh, uh, a set of clothing, a cloak that went over some life force that was animated by some life force that was there and then goes away. And where it goes, who knows? 
But my point, sorry, man, I'm going on here. But my point is this point of control. I think it, it gets at this idea of life as something that we are part of, that we can't avoid, that we're part of, that is not mine to own. It's not my, it is something that blows through me. I have a relationship with it. It is, I am it and it is me and it is way bigger than me too. And so I think part of the answer to this idea of control has to do with the sense of self. And uh, so I think if we appreciate life as this thing that it's the same force that blows through you and it blows through me, well, then we have a reason to kind of love each other. Then we have a reason to respect each other and to be fascinated by what our particular set of molecules decides to do with that life force. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, going on and on, but there you go. Well, why, why do you think <clears throat> there are a couple of things that you brought up that I find interesting. First is being able to observe someone or, or something that, is no longer alive, at least in the form that I picture it. It reminds me of a memory I have with my uh, late uncle. I remember we went there. I spent two or three days with him in the um, care facility that it was in, and he had a form of cancer. And so I think over a course of a week, he got, I mean, it was, it was from a point where he was able to have a conversation to literally, he couldn't speak, he couldn't open mm. his eyes or anything like that. And mm. I remember sitting with him towards the last days, and I was reading this book by Mitch Album called the timekeeper mm-hmm. and there's one sentence in that book that really shifted my perspective and that is him saying mitch album saying the um all man is trying to do at the end of the day is control one's existence mm. and and want to feel that way and so i i thought it was an interesting perspective as it relates to the story that you're talking about because even in this whole concept of passing i will fi- i find myself doing this I don't, I don't know how often I don't really keep track of it, but controlling mm-hmm. certain elements of the uh, experience that life presents mm-hmm. to me in order to prolong mm-hmm. it longer, going mm-hmm. back to the, the initial question, wanting to create more, wanting to create more time mm-hmm. on this planet and, and assuming that with that time, I'll be able to do more things than I'm currently capable in the, mm-hmm. in the current moment. And the thing that really... <clears throat> kind of piqued my interest from that experience of my uncle as well as what you just shared. And that's the life in general and being appreciative for life. And I'm curious, and I don't know if this is me making a generalization or if this is something that you have observed as well, but why do you think it is moments like the different hardships, whether it's the cancer or the adversity that you went through, uh, the childhood adversities that mm-hmm. I went through and so many others, as well as the people that listen to the show. Why do you think it's moments like that, that oftentimes help us appreciate life more than we were able mm-hmm. to before? Well, I think in those moments of hardship, despite, you know, think of your own life, think of how your own intelligence and how much you've had to deal with in a young life. And, you know, and here, just like you said, to the caveat, I mean, I suppose there are inf- practically infinite number of answers to this question that each of us could answer this question mm-hmm. for ourselves. But there is some, there's a lot, let's just sort of break it down a little bit. So hardship, um, you know, implies a lot, a, a lot of, that there's a lot of out, out of your control. And most of us wouldn't choose hardship in, in some real ways, I wouldn't have chosen my injuries. You know, I wouldn't have chosen the death of my sister, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
let's just presume that that's generally the case. I mean, some of us do make choices and seemingly want hardship, want complexities. I, you know, we could talk about that too. That's sort of on a different scale, but hardship, I think presumes that you're dealing with circumstances that a lot of which are out of your control, or you wouldn't, you wouldn't have chosen hardship. So for one, you are, you are coming up against just the fact of the limitations of your own control for one, that's just clear. I think a lot of us who have, you know, I, for much of my childhood, I was a, lived in a relatively wealthy suburban. I had so many, you know, you could have, you really could have convinced me that I had total control of my life at some points along the way. And, and hardship must've been this invented thing. Cause I certainly didn't feel it, you know, and anyway, that going to go off on a tangent there too, if I'm not careful, but so if one is just the bare fact of hardship pointing in your nose in an undeniable way, that's a lot going on outside your control. A B uh, I think it gives you an excuse, uh, a need necessity being a real, this mother of invention. And so if, you know, if you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from or how you're going to take a mm-hmm. next step, well, you're going to summon a lot of energy and a lot of focus to make that happen. So that, so this is point number two is that that hardship will summon, will take, will dig, will force us to dig deeply and to summon a lot of perhaps courage, perhaps um, willpower, perhaps ingenuity, you know, pick a word, but those generally come from some amount of necessity. So that's the second point. And then I think a third point is, as a foil, just as a foil. And I want to get back to your point about framing things earlier, uh, turning losses into gains and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's a really interesting point. We can talk about it, but here too, I think um, there's a clarity that hardship is a foil uh, for what you actually want, like what you might seek. You know, if you've got everything and everything's kind of coming and going your way, you might not feel so sure or clear what you, what's important to you. Like, what do you really want to go after? Cause you got everything, you know, you just, it, it kind of promotes a lazy mind in a way you're not discerning, you know, you can take for granted that something's coming your way around the corner, whether it's a steak or friends or whatever. Um, but here I think as a foil, there's a, I think there's an aesthetic component. You feel this contrast between the way the world is and the way you want it to be. And, um, it can be a clarifying, clarifying for your own vision. I believe too. So anyway, those are three basic ways. I think that hardship uh, summons a sort of will to control in us and actually can help us carve that capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it does other things too, including hopefully, you know, it also hopefully helps us remember all those things that we can't control, not just more zealously pursue control, but being a little easier on ourselves to yield when life isn't going our way, because we know it's not just our fault. That's not an, that's not a, that's an unfair critique and we know it. So I think the other side of this coin is if, if we let it, that hardship can also allow us to realize, to appreciate what we have while we have it, to respect the things out of our control and to develop the capacity to sit with things that are hard rather than to keep reframing our way out of hardship or inventing our way out of hardship because we just can't tolerate pain. Mm. I think it also can, can build a capacity to tolerate pain, even, even maybe appreciate pain. Do you think your forms of hardship hardships were 
quote unquote given to you by whoever or whatever the source is, or is that a choice that you made in order to be able to turn that into a sense of purpose? Well, do you mean, do you think, do is my sort of cosmology, do I believe I chose my hardships on some level yeah. deep down? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I don't know the answer because I think, <clears throat> I mean, the question for me gets at sort of the subconscious because consciously I certainly, certainly wasn't choosing to lose mm-hmm. limbs or any of the other things that have been really the big, the big hard stuff in my life. I would swear up and down that consciously, I would never have chosen. It's the last thing that I would have chosen. Something, you know, something very vehement. Um, but I think a more nuanced answer to your question, Oleg, gets at uh, sides of ourselves that we don't really look at. You might sort of might be hiding in our subconscious, and almost by definition, we're not conscious of our subconscious. You know, mm-hmm. so we have we have uh, there's things going on in our minds pulling us around that we may or may not appreciate. We may or may not see in other words, we may or may not feel them, um, or be aware of them. So I think, you know, one of the themes and everything we're talking about is the, is the potency of, of awareness of self-awareness to, to be clear on why we do what we do and to get clear on all that we can't control and to open our eyes. Um, so there's much to say about that, but back to your good question, you know, on some level, let's take my accident, age 19. I know that I was the first guy to climb that train. I was a, was a small group of dear friends that night. And I know that something was, that I know that I was looking to impress these guys. I know that I grew up feeling kind of weak. I was a late bloomer. I felt like I had a lot to prove. I felt like everyone else was smarter than me or fast. I just had, I was a pretty insecure kid and I was looking to to prove to myself and others that I could be strong or I could be blah, blah, blah. And so I, I, I know I was overcompensating at times and why I was the first to jump up on top of this commuter train probably had something to do with trying to prove myself to these guys on some level. And, um, and part of the proof was that of, uh, was a fearlessness that a toughness that I could live with whatever the consequences were of risky behavior too. So on some level, I, can, I think I can own that much. I think on some level, on that way, I was choosing that moment in some way. I was almost asking for it to see if I could handle hardship, to if I could prove it to myself and others that I had some courage or fearlessness. So in that way, on some level, it could convince me that on in that way, I was choosing that moment. Um, and then lastly, I think even bigger than that, even more mysterious than that was as a as a as a privileged kid, I was very sensitive, very melancholy, tuned into disability around from my mother, who I grew up with, who had polio, and just watching how cruel humans could be to each other, just casually kind of cruel and dismissive. And I I and I on some level felt a solidarity and felt weird because I by outside appearances, I looked like I had everything going for me. And on some level, I did want to cho- I did want to join the ranks of people who had it harder on some level for whatever weird human impulse there was under there. I so that's as much as I can tell you. I know how all those forces played out and how strong or weak any of them was. I can't really say, but I, some other people might answer your question in a more of a spiritual way, like we choose our destinies. We choose, mm-hmm. you know, karmically we choose. We 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 our life is 
been preordained by past lives, et cetera. I don't necessarily hold those beliefs. I don't discount them as, and I don't call them impossible, but I just don't necessarily hold those beliefs. I haven't seen enough to, to justify that belief mm-hmm. in my own life. Well, I, I think it also brings up another point going back to how we started the conversation of why do we feel the need to create new things? I think the same could also be applied to purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I know for however many years of my life, that is something I chased after. I, I was purpose? desperately lo- looking for that sense of purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. And I started in, in the realm of thinking that my purpose is going to come from traveling to all of these exotic places. And then I begin to realize that the purpose can literally come from the moment that I was in, mm-hmm. whether it was spending time with my, my dad or my mom or working out in the backyard or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, that's what I started to realize. And I think it, it probably somewhat similar to your story. And that's wanting to prove that you might have found certain things that other people may or may not have or mm-hmm. qualities or courage or confidence, whatever those things are, which really, I think begs another question. And that is, do you think a sense of purpose is necessary for life? Mm-hmm. Or is that a choice that we simply make? And mm. I mean, is that a fundamental element to what it means to be alive? Or is that just an mm. added component that we add on to the experience in thinking that that somehow captures the entire experience of what it means to be alive? Mm. I love this question. Though. Like, I think, I think about this not infrequently. So I do think a sense of purpose is a very powerful force. If, if you can, if you can find one, (laughs) uncover one, create one, make one, whatever, um, as a force for life, like, uh, like breath, you referenced earlier, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it, it can be practically elemental breath is necessary. It's not a good example. Actually breath is necessary. I don't, let me just cut to the, to the punchline and then we'll circle back. I don't, I have come to believe that a sense of purpose is not required for a meaningful life, for a valuable life. I think it's a very, very useful one. I have gone to some uh, great trouble to construct one for myself and it has served me well um, going into medicine, blah, 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 this, you know, um, those were that those were coming from a desire to make sense of my life and to make, uh, and to, and to hone some purpose from my experiences. So yes, I think it's a very powerful force as a way to move us through life, um, in a meaningful way, um, in a way that tends to help ourselves and tends to help others. And people who have purpose in their life can have a sort of lightness of being around them. And a lot of beauty can flow from a sense of purpose. So I'm all for it, but I don't think, but I stop shy of saying, if you can't, if you don't, if you haven't stumbled on your purpose or can't find it, blah, blah, blah. I don't think your life is any less meaningful or important or valuable. So, um, so that, that's my very strong, firm answer to your question. And, and, and I'll just sew in a sort of a counterpoint to one of the ways I kind of found my way to that conclusion was through trying to appreciate the world of aesthetics. You know, I studied, when I went back to college after my injuries, I changed my major to art history. I felt really drawn to kind of digging into why human beings create. Why do they build from their experiences? Um, why do we make art? It's such a funny thing. I don't know other species that do that in 
So why do we take the material of our lives and create something new from it that, that wasn't there before? Um, it, you know, that's again, that subtext of our, much of our conversation today. And it is a stunning, I mean, art is beautiful. It's just an amazing thing that we do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, by looking in, by following that impulse to create from our experiences, it led me into studying art and, and studying art led me into thinking about this thing called aesthetics and aesthetics simply in the big sense, simply our perceived world, the world that comes through our senses, the way of knowing through the body, this sort of sensory driven felt experience of life. And pondering that and reading about that because I, my body was altered, you know, and it felt differently now Mm -hmm. and what to do with things like pain were big questions to me. So I was trying to get into this body that I had struggled, that I had almost lost and struggled very hard to keep. I really did try very hard to stay alive, to keep this particular body. And one of the ways I did, it, it pulled attention to the body and it pulled attention to art, it pulled attention to aesthetics. And you started thinking about that stuff. Um, you know, I'm, you've probably heard the phrase art for art's sake, you mm-hmm. know, that it doesn't have to have a purpose. In other words, I spent a lot of time thinking about that when I was younger. At first, it seemed decadent, you know, like, why would you, like a waste of material? Yeah. We all need things. Why, why would you not inject purpose into it? Isn't that a demotion to take to have a purposeless object? But the more I spent with art and then looking at my own life and thinking about moments that have been incredibly poignant or incredibly valuable to me, and in daily life still, they tend to be things for their own sake. So in other words, like walking in the woods or playing with my dog or riding my bicycle or my motorcycle, these are my big ones or eating pizza. You could say that these are, well, pizza's for nutrition. You got to eat or walking your dog <laughs> is for exercising your dog or walking the woods is for your exercise or you're riding your bike to the purpose of riding your bike is to get from point A to point B. And no, if I'm really honest, I had to look at all these things and I realized those, those overlays of purpose are fine. Those, those are, those are, they can be there too, but that's not why I'm doing it. I ride my bike because I love the feeling of being on two wheels. Um, there's something just magical about that feeling and that fusion of my body with the planet around me or playing with my dog, not to exercise her. You know, these, I realized that these were pure aesthetic experiences at base, that they had their own meaning to them, their own value. Mm. And it didn't, they weren't means to an end. The problem with the purpose thing is it leaves you, you're always striving, you're applying your the means of today to some ends of tomorrow. And that pulls you so much into this future orientation and so far away from the present moment, or it, or it forces you to look at your present moment as a, in a strategic way. Like, how can I use this? Um, you know, if everyone, anyone looks at you, Oleg, and says, how can I use you? You know, it's kind of, eh. On some level, it ain't. The, you know, <laughs> that's there's a problem with that. I mean, I we like to be useful on and, multiple uh, levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On multiple levels, you know. I think so. Anyway, all that is to say, it took me a long time to see these sort of subtle signals, but I have come around through thanks to the world of the aesthetic domain to appreciating that that existence has its own value for its own sake, and that that is the one a really high. Um, that is, that is a high thing that we put on a, hum, on a human experience. If it may secondarily serve a purpose, 
but it doesn't need to serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. What made you keep going? You, you mentioned briefly about the story about accepting your body and embracing it, af especially after the, the injury and everything that you went through. Mm -hmm. What I mean, was there ever a thought about, okay, there's really no point anymore. This is it. This is the end of the road. This is the end of life. And if so, how did, how did you transform that? How did you get used to that? How did you develop a different relationship with it? Like what, what mm -hmm. really changed? In some ways, nothing, you know? So I had, um, I, as I referenced earlier, sensitive kids, melancholy and often felt out of place and wasn't always convinced that this, this life was for me. Um, you know, for all sorts of reasons. And the accident actually stiffened my spine to, to, to give me something to push against, to fight against. And I actually, in some ways, you know, the, the, I came closest to death with those injuries in a physiologic sense, but I've been closer to death in a, in, in a more of a way of me just letting go of it, of not being interested or feeling up to it or able to keep mm -hmm. going. So that didn't happen so much around my injuries, weirdly or not. Um, but in all of these cases, you know, sometimes in my life that has actually been something of a depression and that has meant me getting treatment for depression, um, therapy, and even medications a few times have been helpful. But most of the time it's not really a depression or any pathological state talking. I've come to appreciate that I think there's something really gorgeous about holding life loosely and being open to whatever's actually coming, even if it's death. Um, and so sometimes I'm in my healthiest when I hold it super lightly. And I could very honestly say with you, Oleg, this may be the last conversation I ever have on this planet and actually be okay with that. You know, I don't know what's coming for the rest of the today. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in a very healthy way, I'm so agile um and so in the moment that i don't that i might die this moment and that's just fine mm -hmm. sometimes it's psychopathology talking and it's in a form of depression sometimes it's just being weary of this world and demoralized and seeing all the invented pain and suffering we humans reap on each other and the planet sometimes that's what makes me want to go sometimes it's so frigging beautiful and amazing and incomprehensible that I can barely stand it and almost want to die from that so I've bumped around this line many 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 times and and <clears throat> in many different ways and one theme of how I so far, why I keep going, choose another day, choose another moment. It's, it's very simple math. It's sort of like, you know, it kind of comes down to if I'm really not that uh, afraid of death and I'm really, you know, not even that afraid of pain, it kind of comes down to this very basic impulse where I'll say to myself, like, well, you know, if your options are you turn left and you choose another day, turn right and you get off the planet. Oftentimes it's this very unsexy moment where I'm kind of like, eh, 5149. Oh, I think 51% oh, <laughs> of me wants to go left, 49 wants to go right. And that's enough. So I'm gonna go left. I'm gonna choose another day. I'm gonna choose to keep trying. Um, and so that may sound the words of family that may sound, well, I don't know how that sounds. So that may sound weak or problematic to some people. I kind of love that, that, that agility. I've come to really appreciate what feels like an agility and a very simple choice. Like if it's this or nothing, well, so far I'll keep choosing this. 
mm-hmm. you know? And that's how, that's what got me through my injuries. That's what's gotten through me from everything else is this very unsexy, very basic math. This or nothing. Well, I'll keep tr- trying this. Mm-hmm. For anyone who's, who's listening to this, how can people connect with you? What do you have that's coming up? I know that you've, as I mentioned earlier, there was a TED talk that is pretty eye-opening on multiple different levels. I think one of them is in regard to the concept of death and in, in, in mm-hmm. particular how, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but how I interpreted it was that it's an opportunity to look at life through a different mm-hmm. lens. Mm-hmm. And the, right the other component that you spoke about is probably somewhat related to the work that you do right now around mm-hmm. um, medicine, alternative care and things like that. Mm-hmm. So tell, tell us a little bit more about where can people get more details? What do you have coming up within that, that people can be a part of? Yeah, thanks, bud. You know, so, I mean, last year, my partner, Sonia and I, my business partner, Sonia and I started this thing called Metal Health, M-E-T-T-L-E, Metal Health, metal being our sort of inner strength, our inner reserves. So um, metalhealth.com is our website. And that's just basically, it's online palliative care, counseling and coaching, you know, so people, patients dealing with illness, caregivers caring for them, people going through big transitions in life, trying to find meaning in their life or questions of purpose, like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. uh, grief issues, navigating the healthcare system, how to talk to your doctor, boy, it's a long, long list, but that's palliative care writ large. And that's what we do at Metal Health. So that's online, all that's, you know, telehealth, come see us there. Those are paid sessions, but we also do free webinars monthly. We have one this Friday morning at 10 o'clock, um, Pacific time. Um, those are free and open to the public. We pick a topic this, this Friday, we're talking about uh, dementia and being a caregiver for folks with dementia. Um, and then, you know, conversations like ours today, like I'm on, you know, interviews and things like that. You'll find me um, social media. We're a little sluggish on it. We're getting a little bit better. I, I do have a Twitter account. It's uh, at BJ Miller MD come find me there. Um, but really I point you to our metal health Instagram, um, and our metal health Twitter page too. That's probably the best place to find us. Um, or just email or call us to the website. And then the one other thing to be aware of that for folks who want to specifically dig into this end of life stuff is, is the book that Shoshana Berger and I wrote uh, called a beginner's guide to the end. And that Simon and Schuster published that in 2019. You can find that at bookstores, uh, etc. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next time.